Welcome to the North Beach It's podcast in the show. Back with Professor Mike. Yeah, not as always. You used to say as always. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. I'm a busy guy. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I'm ready back for this one. Yeah. Um, back with Professor Mike. We had Jeremy last week with um, Hillary, Professor Hillary. Um, and now we're here with Professor Adam. Hi. How are we doing? Good, man. Professor Adam, if um, uh, people don't know, yeah, you teach up at Harrogate. And you came up with um, Mike Lewis and Cleel at similar times, right? That's right, yeah. Been around for quite a while. Um, spent most of my time at GB Leeds before that, or what was GB Leeds. Bit of time at GB Sheffield when there was a GB Sheffield, or like the previous yeah. version of it. And uh, yeah. You were an early adopter, earlier than me. So uh, this kind of finishes, it squares the circle somewhat, I think, with. Professor Lewis, Professor Khalil, like having you in, because you're one of the early adopters. When when did you start your jiu jitsu? I was thinking about this the other day, actually. Um, I think about 2000. And then I got my blue belt 2003. Then moved to Leeds about, I think it was about 2007. You were in Sheffield then before? Yeah. Um, so I think I moved to Sheffield for work purposes, really. And at university, I was doing Taekwondo. Um, don't know if you know much about Taekwondo, but there's, there's ITF Taekwondo and WTF Taekwondo. And at the time, I was doing ITF Taekwondo, and I thought, I'm going to stick with this. You know, I don't want to do that bullshit, WTF. There's no difference, really. Um, <laughs> so I was walking around Sheffield trying to find a club that did ITF Taekwondo, and there just wasn't. Loads of WTF, and I was being a bit of a snob. Is ITF, sorry, mate, is, is that a little bit more kind of like real? Yeah, so the ITF, the original version, and, and I think most kids in, I'm trying to get this right, South Korea probably do it at school. And then they sort of bought this WTF, which was the Olympic version of it. Ah, oh, Roger. And that's where the snobbery creeps in. <clears throat> so I wanted to do the legit version. Right. Um, not that legit anyway, but so yeah, I was, I was trying to find a place in Sheffield that did ITF. There just wasn't any. And I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll not do WTF. I'll do some jujitsu because there's a bit of kicking in that. And I, I was looking around for a club that did some jujitsu, and the nearest one to me was Castle Black Belt Academy, and they had some jujitsu. And I went to check out the class, and it's all these guys rolling around on the floor. I thought, What's this? No, I know what that is. It's, it's Brazilian jujitsu. I'll, I'll watch it, and it looked all right. And uh, how did you know what it was like that time? Just... So I'd seen the UFCs before that, UFC one. I'd, I'd you know, peripherally been aware of Brazilian jujitsu and, and MMA, and I'd always thought I'll give it a try one day. But I'd always done stand-up martial arts and I felt comfortable doing those. I could go into a typical stand-up martial art gym and someone of a similar size and weight, I could roughly hold my own. Um, so I thought I want to continue doing that. I'd, I'd had a few kickboxing fights in the past and that was my bag really. Um, yeah, I saw this and I thought, well, I'll give it a go whilst I you know, continue to look around for some, some Taekwondo and um, gave it a go and I got smashed. And, oh, that was a bit of a fluke. <laughs> Went back the next time and the next time and for about six months just got you know, my ass handed to me and I thought well this is this is new and unusual like, like I said I can normally handle myself a little bit standing up and to be so outclassed every single time I thought well you know, I just I, I need to learn this and so that's that was when my journey started that was with a guy called Andy Roberts I don't know whether you know Andy yep so at the, the time tactical jiu-jitsu that's thing, right yeah, yeah. um so at that time, he was um, working at Castle Black Belt Academy. That was a traditional martial arts academy that did um, yeah, jiu-jitsu, like traditional jiu-jitsu, um, self-defense classes. I think maybe an early version of MMA and then also uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu was a kind of an offshoot. And we were affiliated to Hoist Gracie at that time. So he used to come over twice a year and we trained with him. And, and yeah, that, was, that was the... Is Andy a black belt under Roger? Yes. Yeah. So sort of to bring that history a bit further on. So we were training under Hoyce. I think we did that for a few years. I can't remember how many, but twice a year. It's not a lot of regular contact with no. a black belt. Andy was a blue belt at that stage. Um, 
there was a few more blue belts in the country and, and so we were traveling to try and get extra training. Um, but then Mauricio came on the scene and he was GB and it just made more sense to, to affiliate with, with those guys. So that's what happened. We became Gracie Baja. Um, then Andy moved down south to train to be with his wife and, uh, well, now wife. And yeah, so then GB Sheffield sort of carried on separately. And that was, that was the beginning of the journey with GB really. Mm. And who was running it then, then, in his absence? A guy called John Goldson. Right. Um, <clears throat> so there's been, I suppose, over the years, been a long time, really, but people have changed affiliations and, yep. and moved on and whatnot. But, yeah, so he's he was, I think, Rebellion Jiu-Jitsu, which yes. you might have had some dealings with through Reorg. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so those, those guys. But then for work, I, I then moved to Leeds, and, and I thought, well, I can commute because I'm, I'm doing a bit of work up and down the country, but... To be honest, it was a ball egg, so I thought, well, I need to find a club closer. Um, I think at that time we were we were under Legato, so uh, Darren Good and that and Tom or that stage. So, so I know the GB Sheffield was under Legato, oh, right. and um, GB Leeds was under Victor, and so because I was still within the affiliation, but I thought, well, out of respect, I just need to drop a, a message to Legato, say, look, you know, um, I'm thinking of changing gyms for work purposes, you know, life, all that kind of thing. And he said, yeah, cool. Uh, Victor's like a brother to me, no problem. Just, yeah, whenever you're in the area, train. So Leeds exists at that point? Yeah, I think Leeds was, I mean, Leeds was always there. It was still quite a small club at that time. It was roughly 2007, I think, what, 2006, 2007, when I started training there. Um, but yeah, they were, they were GB at that stage. Perfect. So where are you from originally? Uh, this is a, an interesting long story. So I'm originally from Oxford, um, but both my parents are Northern Irish. So when I was a teenager, we moved over to Northern Ireland, uh, went to school there for a bit. And obviously with a with an English accent in sort of early 90s, Northern Ireland, it's, it's you know, not the best accent to have. I mean, <laughs> again, you'll probably appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it was... Where were you? A place called Cookstown. Oh, yeah. Um, in County Tyrone. Yeah. All, all That's where I was deployed, County Tyrone. Really? That's where I went, yeah. Right. Clogger. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. See, it should have been Clogger. Clogger, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got beat up for that. <laughs> yeah. I was fine as a green uniform with a rifle, so no yeah, one would ask the question. So, yeah, I spent a few years there. Then Was that your kind of first bit of street combat? <laughs> Not, not really. Did no. you get into? Were you get into fights often? Or was I, I was a bit of a shit as a kid, to be honest. And my dad, he was sort of quite an accomplished boxer as well. So back in the eighties, early nineties, it was, you know, his attitude was you need to be able to sort of look after yourself. So being a boxer, he was well. You need to do something. So he encouraged me to to get into martial arts. So I think I started at about eight. Um, started at Laogar Kung Fu and then um, because of that because watching quite a few ninja movies you know I thought I was I thought I was a ninja at that time so probably threw my weight around a little bit too much as a kid and so I had you know a few scrapes as a kid but yeah are, are you an only child or you got brothers and no sisters? I've got an older sister and a younger okay. brother right um, me and my sister there's about 18 months between us and then my brother he's roughly eight years younger than me Right, okay. So there was no real opportunity for decent sparring last night. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it was, it was quite difficult in Northern Ireland. You know, people did single me out because of my accent. And um, there, was, there was a few instances, that, you know, back at the fire station, you know, half past three, that kind of thing. Any stories you want to share on the podcast? <laughs> no, nothing really interesting. I mean, the, the worst one was probably where I legged it. Um, rather than going into a really impressive street fight. I remember one situation where there had been a fight at school, just a bit of a scuffle really, and this, this kid didn't particularly like the results. So at the weekend, I used to work at the local sort of hotel nightclub, and um, I was working in the cloakroom. And it got to the end of the night, and him and all of his mates turned up and said, you know, we're, we're waiting for you outside. <laughs> and I had a look out through the window. There's about 30 of them. That was fine. What? So I just got a taxi home. <laughs> I slid down in the taxi and thought, I'm not going not gonna to take a chance on that. So uh, We always say that the hardest fight you ever have is the one you walk away from because it, it, mm. it really hurts your ego, doesn't it? 
Do you know what though? That one didn't hurt my ego. Oh, really? No, because like, what what sense is there in getting beat up by thirty people? That my my ego, yeah, was okay with that. Yeah, taking a pasting from thirty people. There's there's no nothing nothing good about that, is there? No. No. <laughs> no, there isn't. I mean, I, do, I didn't stand a chance, even in my wildest dreams, like 30 people. I mean, that's that's the best ninja movie ever, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, well, he, didn't fancy, he didn't fancy his chance either, the fact you have to bring 29 others to yeah, back him up. Yeah. You know what I, mean? I mean, I think it was, they weren't all his mates, but they, they lived, I mean, you know the sort of geography, but outside Cookstown, there's loads of little hamlets. Yeah. And um, so all these, <clears throat> they're basically farmers. They'll get on a bus and they'll come to the big town and go to the um, the nightclub. But you know, they're not all necessarily mates, but they all know each other. Yeah, yeah. But if one of them gets into a fight, then then they're all in kind of thing. Hundred percent. And so, so GB leads two thousand six seven. So I don't think I kind of rocked up until probably two thousand nine ten. Mm-hmm. So when we've had obviously uh, Kelly and other people, there, just describe from your point of view then what that academy was like. Was it down at Broadlane at that point, or was it? It wasn't, uh, would it? I don't think it. No, it was before, uh, a place before that. Like, it wasn't far away. I remember that much. Were you in Kickers? Was it? Was that it? No, because Kickers is Bradford, isn't it? So it was after that. Yeah, it was after that. Um, so Tom, Richard Couch, and Darren Good—that was that was their club. Um, I just remember being like rough, you know. Do you know the sort of the polystyrene mats that had loads of friction? Um, there were those mats. Um, Cleo was there. I'm sure he was. Yeah. Um, he Martin, Polish Martin, he was there. Um, Bolo was there. So a few of the faces that, that you, you know you still know they they were all there training at the club at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else there. Lisa, I go on all that lot down there. That time. It was before them. John John Waterhouse was there. Mm. Um, trying to think if there was anybody else there that that you might know. I mean, these names mean no nothing to anyone uh, listening. Yeah, but it's no, but it's interesting because you know. You're not the first person to say, like, as a blue belt, there was like a handful in the country. Like, we're mm. still talking that time, really. You know, yeah, there wasn't a lot of people there. Tom would have been a purple belt probably that time. He was, yeah. Him and Richard were purples, yeah. Which now is just like they're just purple belts, it's ten a penny, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? But, <laughs> it's back, just but, but back then, that was a big deal, man. It was, yeah. I mean, you know, blue belts were rare, but, but purples were super rare. Uh, I'm trying to think who was purple at that stage. Um, yeah, like sort of Ben Poppleton and, and Jude Samuels, those guys. So yeah, there, there wasn't many. Um, and it's only 15 years ago, like it's not a yeah. lot. And, and you know, to, to get high level training in blue and purple, you had to travel or you had to wait for a seminar to come. And seminars weren't that regular, you know, you might have a couple of year. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's quite interesting to think about the seminar situation because the, the money wasn't there either. I mean, you know, guys would travel over from Brazil Remember Braulio coming over as a blue, sorry, brown belt, not blue belt, coming over as a brown belt with a, like a suitcase full of t-shirts. So that was like the, the money that he made was from the like the sale of the seminar plus a bit of merchandising as well. But it was all like done there and then in you know in transactions. It's like a shit bus coming in selling CDs. <laughs> <laughs> Same kind of idea. That yeah, is like yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so. So what was the training about then? Because you, were you training like how many times a week? Was it quite tough training? Were you just it drumming? was tough training because there was, there was no real huge differentiation between people who did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and people who did MMA. You know, um, Normally amateur, semi-pro, not that many people doing it pro level at that stage. So the guys that were training were training sometimes for fights. And it was, it was, it was tough. I mean, within our gym, um, I mean, we used to get lots of people drop in because there wasn't a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu around. So guys that wanted to grapple, we had like the, the Sheffield University judo team, they turn up for a bit of Nawaza. Um, guys from Doncaster would come over. You know, we'd have visitors all the time. But yeah, there was everything from guys who thought they were tough to I know, bouncers, you know, all kinds of big dudes who just wanted to throw the weight around. So it was, it was, it was, it was tough. It wasn't as kind of, um, we've got it above the door there, right? The no egos, like it wasn't as well policed is probably the wrong word, but certainly like, ah, oh, in this academy, it's safe, arrogant. You know, the experience is what really counts. We, yeah. Everyone's welcome. Um, it kind of wasn't like that. Even when I started, it wasn't like that. It was, you had to kind of yeah, give you, it up and take You it. accepted that people were going to probably try and hurt <laughs> you and you had to manage that yourself. Yeah. I think anyway. Um, it was... You could call it character building, couldn't you? Uh, <laughs> Definitely. 
Yeah, a lot, you know, the turnover of students was pretty high. I mean, I look back at photos of, of people that have trained or, or been at seminars over the years, and there's, um, there's loads of familiar faces, but they're not around. And, and the ones that are around, you know, they, you know, they've, they've seen life, you know, they've, they've experienced the, the hardship of jujitsu in the early days. Mm. Um, what kept you coming back then? Good question. Um, I think because I, in my head, I've always wanted to do martial arts of some description. As I said, I started when I was eight. And so, I see it as almost like part of my character that I do something. Right. Um, and, I, and I liked that it was so hard. And also in the early days, it, it was kind of good because it was, it was like a bit underground, a bit niche. I've said that before, yeah. You know, and, and that was the appeal. Is like, it was almost like having a superpower as well, wasn't yeah. it? Um, when nobody else knew grappling and you did, you always fancied yourself in, in a street fight if, if you had to. Um, and that was, that was good. It was quite a, a good confidence boost. But yeah, I think it was more that it was like, you know, this is, this is what I do. You know, I don't play football. I'm, I'm not very good at other sports. So, you know, this, this is what I did, really. Yeah, we've talked about that before I'm in the podcast. Like, there's no doubt jiu-jitsu and its growth in popularity and its, its breadth now is a positive thing because it's touching more people. That's, that's such, a, such a great thing. But for those who did do it back when it was a bit kind of like fight clubby, mm. There, something has, if you were back then, you do feel like it has changed. Yeah. There's a little bit of you kind of like misses that, I think. I certainly do. Definitely, yeah. The fact that people were like, what, what is it you do? But now everyone knows. Yeah, I, I used to sort of, not almost enjoy it, but yeah, the conversation, what do you do? You know, what sport do you do? And I'd say Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and nobody would know what it was at that point. And yeah. I'd come up with the description, you know, hugging, hugging men in pyjamas or something like that. And it used to be a good, good kind of icebreaker. Whereas now, what do you, you know, do you do any sports? Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Okay, and then it's just pushed to one side. And it's like, well, you're supposed to be impressed by that. <laughs> it's, it's a cool thing to do, but but you have to say, didn't you? In the past, you had to say, you know, have you seen MMA? No. Hmm. Cage fighting. Oh yeah, I've seen cage fighting. That's brutal. Yeah. So you do that, do you? Not kind of, but and that was the kind of how the conversation went. Right? Yeah. Very cool. Um, I, I'd like to, I, I'm probably jumping off topic here, but I want to talk to you about your neck injury. Mm, Can yeah. you talk to us about that? Because we've got a number of students, um, that's been particularly of interest to anyone who's new to jiu-jitsu who has a tough role, wakes up in the morning with a bit of a stiff neck, actually, it's probably the traps and the rhomboids that mm. are a bit stiff. You actually did have to have surgery, right? Yeah, um, that was 2014, sort of back end of. Um, it'd been a long time coming, I think, Again, going back to the early days of jiu-jitsu, when you had massive dudes come in trying to hurt you, it, you know, and, and also being a smaller guy, I'd often end up playing guard and end up getting stacked a lot. Um, I think it's also a, an element of the work that I do. I spend a lot of time in front of a computer and in a car, so I'm, I'm sort of poor postured. And yeah, from about, I'd say about 2010, it was a number of years where I was experiencing problems. I had like spasms in my arm, pins and needles, and um, I lived with quite severe symptoms for about a year, a bit more perhaps. I thought, I need to get this sorted. And I think you kind of know what it is, but I went to um, try through the NHS and that didn't, didn't kind of get me anywhere. And I was lucky that I had a, a work health policy that I could go private. So I did that and yeah, I had an MRI and there was quite a lot of degeneration in my neck. Um, I think I had about three levels of disc where there was some form of bulge and then a thing called stenosis, which is like a narrowing of the spinal canal. And the, um, the guy's like, well, probably need surgery, you need to have something done with those to relieve the pressure. So what I ended up having was a, a disc replaced. There's this thing that you can have done different to that. So you can have your um, vertebrae fused or you can have a, a, a disc replacement. So that's what I opted for. I thought, well, I like mobility in my neck. I'll, I'll keep that, thanks. Um, and I remember having a conversation with the, the surgeon at the time because me and my wife, uh, we'd signed up to do a Tough Mudder, which was, I think, in the August of 2014. We'd already sort of done a lot of training for it. And I said to the doctor, I was like, you know, if I have this, well, you know, should I have it before or after the race? Because I've got this, this obstacle course race coming up. What's the recovery time? I said, oh, well, we'll just get it done before and you'll be fine for the race. And I was like, I'm not sure about that. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you what, we'll do it after the race. And um, yeah, he was lying. Um, the recovery was, was huge. For, for me, it was anyway. Um, they, they, they opened my neck 
at the front, sort of moved everything out of the way, got rid of the, the disc and then put in this like metal device, which then sort of uh, creates some space between your vertebrae. And then uh, for six weeks, I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to drive, wasn't allowed to pick up anything heavier than a, um, a kettle of water, um, which was a great excuse for doing nothing. But then, you know, <laughs> it, it, it took much longer than I thought to recover from mine. Um, but even now, even sort of several years on, I find that I do have some flare-ups. You know, I've just had some treatment actually with, with Tom just to sort okay. of, yeah, just to alleviate the symptoms. And it's, it's good, it's, it's improved my range of motion. But I think that a few things I've learned from the original kind of issues all the way to now, it's kind of, you do need to look after your neck. You know, strength and conditioning is quite important. Mobility is quite important. Um, so if, if your guys are early days in jujitsu and... Yeah, if you know if you are experiencing neck issues, then then work on it. Start start looking at strengthening. Maybe get some professional advice as well on on how to look after it. Um, and yeah, it's 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 just it's going to happen. I think. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we've obviously got a great relationship with Indigard and, and Tom, so you know all our members get ten percent off down at Indigard, which is great. Um, but you still do train, so yeah. it's not like if people and look, we shouldn't be scaring people by saying. You know, if you do jiu-jitsu, you're going to get have to have spinal surgery. That's not the case. I've not yet, touch wood, had to have spinal surgery. But I think it's been aware of it, isn't it? For years, yeah. I used to wake up super stiff, like couldn't, you know, talk about driving, like trying to turn around like this. I got an orthopedic pillow and it changed my mm. whole life. So, you know, like one of those curved pillows just changed the game. They're good. Massive, massive, like literally overnight, literally. Yeah changed it because it was just supporting my neck yeah because i've spent an absolute fortune on pillows have you made yeah. that on for me the one that's like a small bump and then a big bump yeah another one it's just perfect and then yeah getting like a lacrosse ball into your traps early your rhomboids mm. your scapula opening that back up is what everyone should be doing from day one mm. we've got the real groom to help people do that but should we do that day one but but even with a serious injury it doesn't preclude you from training so you're back training i am i mean I totally agree with you. I think, yeah, you're, you're not destined to have spinal injuries. I do think that there is a lot of wear and tear on your neck. And I think people do need to look after specifically their necks and their spine. So prevention is better than cure for sure. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of that neck injury, you know, I was, I was again thinking about this podcast and it may be coming up. And for me, that was the closest I came to, to quitting like, ever. Um, just because there was a few things that happened, you know, the, the surgery itself, the recovery was much longer than, than I expected. The timing was, was kind of good, kind of bad because it coincided with my first child being born. Um, as you know, he, he spent a bit of time in hospital. So mm -hmm. it just meant that I had this extended break, yeah. which wasn't planned at all. I mean, I thought, you know, have the surgery six weeks, recover fully back, back at it. And the longer you stay off and maybe this sort of ties in where, where you were going, but the longer you take off training, the harder it is to come back. And I've been that guy, you know, I've, I've, I've had time off. I've, I've, the first session back's a killer, it always is. But every time you have it, it's, it's always hard. It's, it's, never, it's never better, that first session back. So you just have to kind of do it. But the worst thing is when you've been through that cycle a few times and you know that the longer you leave it until you go back, that it's going to be much harder. Having had such a long time off and thinking, well, you know, how will my neck be? Yeah. You know, that that was... How long were you off for? Do you know what? Probably a year. Right. Maybe a bit more. We were training together at the time, so I do yeah, remember so, that, but I can't really remember you being away. So, yeah, I kind of popped back again, and my training was sporadic afterwards, but, like, I had about, I think it was about a year off, and I know that, like, you and Lewis were maybe helping out at Leeds at the time. It was... Um, and I came back a little bit, then I'd have a bit of time off. And, and my training definitely wasn't consistent during that time. So um, I don't really count that as coming back. I think it was when we did our Sunday morning sessions, when we yeah. kind of had that continuity. So what was um, GB Leeds, then Senshi, um, then over to Harrogate. Those sessions really kind of got me back on track. Yeah. How did you feel about other people's progression whilst you were off? Did that ever concern you? That particular scenario didn't. It was um, when I had time off earlier on in Judaism, it did. Like um, White and Bluebell, that was where it was harder to deal with because it was more noticeable. Mm. 
Like if um, if I was at white belt stage and I had a bit of time off, you know, because I've had loads of injuries through the years, knees, elbows, fingers, like everything gets injured, doesn't it? Um, so if I took time off for injuries at that stage, three weeks, four weeks off, you know, you come back and guys that, you know, depend on where you were, they were catching you up, sometimes overtaking you. And, you know, that, that was hard to deal with. But moving to that stage, I think I was, I was a brown at that stage. Um, and yeah, it didn't really bother me too much, you know, because people, your progression slows down anyway at that yeah. stage. So people catching you up, it's not, it's not a big deal really. Because I think it is a massive issue. We see it. Um, in fact, I had an email from someone today who, three-stripe white belt, great person, great student, lo- I thought loved jiu-jitsu. Mm. I want to quit. And it's like, ah, that's a real shame, man. A real shame. And I'm not saying for their case, but certainly we've had students who, when we've unpicked the reasons why, because mm. there's always a reason, oh, I'm busy, I want to do mm. something different. A lot of it is, well, I don't feel like I'm progressing. Yeah. What they really mean is other people are progressing faster than me. Yeah. And that's a hard thing for people to deal with, man. But it, it, it's such a personal journey. And I think understanding that's the big battle, isn't it? You know, some people get to black belt in, in four years, BJ Penn. You know, I, I was, well, over 10 years really, but it doesn't, it doesn't massively bother me. You know, some people are destined for, for greatness on the competition seat. You know, and I, I, I never was, you know, I knew that, I knew that from, from quite early on. So yeah, just, it came when it came. It was probably about purple belt when, when that sort of settled down. Um, I remember thinking about the blue belt when I was at white <clears throat> and those guys I thought were the same level as me, probably loads better, but they were getting their blue belt and I thought, why am I being overlooked? Yeah. And then I got it and then I regretted wanting it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> it was, it was the worst thing in the world getting it because what you don't realise is that that then means that everyone's chasing you and, and, and the pressure increases. There's expectation, isn't there, as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. And then, then the same again at Purple. You know, as soon as you, you get that, people want that scalp. And, and it's, it's no different at Black, is it? No, but I think, <clears throat> to your point there about your second injury and coming back as a brown belt and not being worried about people who progressed up to that point or even beyond. Like, we spoke briefly then about Jeremy going... And like anyone who rolled to Jeremy while he was here, whilst he was here, like, you know, it's a world level purple belt. You know, he beats you and I easily, mm. no problem with that. Well, I'm twice, we're old enough to be his dad as well. That does count for something. But it doesn't concern me. It doesn't concern you. There's no issue with that. Well, you're a black belt, you should be able to beat him. No, because everyone's on their own journey. Yeah. It's not about that, is it really? But I think it becomes easier over time to accept that, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and, and understanding that there's different, um, different levels as well i mean someone you, know, you always assess this when you grade people don't you but their potential what they want to get from jujitsu um their, their life their age yeah. all these things are factors and yeah you're right you know being a a man of a, a finer vintage then you know you're not gonna be able to hang with the, the young studs are you really well more the competition level ones, you know. Yeah. If someone's training as a full-time athlete, and I'm I'm training three times a week in the evenings as a hobbyist, then then if I can even hang with them, it's good. Yeah, the sharpness, and, and we said again before this, you know, the sharpness of the transition mm-hmm. and the accuracy of the grip and the they just they they're exp- they've probably done more jujitsu. Well, certainly someone like Jeremy, or certainly like you, t- you know, trained early in martial arts. If you start at five years old and you're twenty, you've done fifteen years of jujitsu anyway. Yeah, exactly. If you're forty and you start at twenty-five, you've done the same. But they're doing it full time. Mm. They're going to be way ahead. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to look at that as a um, an accumulation of hours because I started when I was, was it twenty-three, I think it was, and at that time there just wasn't a lot of scope to do jujitsu <clears throat> full time. Yeah, um, and then give. So I'd into that at the time that I had off. Fast forward to today. Yeah, you know, I've probably done my 10,000 hours or whatever, but I don't think that someone who's trained at a full-time academy from a very early age, you know, their, their hour count's going to be significantly higher, I would think. Do you think there's anything, not about you two, what do you think? Is there anything that is valuable of amassing those hours, but over a prolonged or a longer period of time in terms of, your ability to see jiu-jitsu perhaps more broadly, experience setbacks, for instance. Because in terms of like, I suppose, ability, if you just cram it, 
that's a good thing in terms of being able to perform today. But actually, the lessons you've learned about your body, about how to train, about training with all the different people, about experiencing it in different environments, different clubs, mm. that's got to be valuable too, right? It is, and, and I don't know which I'd prefer, to be honest, because I like the fact that I was there at the beginning. You know, no one can ever take that away. But at the same time, the, the people who follow us, who, who learn from our experiences and avoid those mistakes and, and avoid that pain and progress that little bit quicker because we've made the mistakes before them, I, I kind of envy that as well. You know, it would have been nice if... Aren't you proud of that, though? I am proud, yeah, absolutely. Should but, be. you know, it would also... It would be nice to have another go at it, start off as a, as a kind of a 14-year-old with a black belt instructor and, and see what the difference would have been. Absolutely, yeah. You know, because as a 23-year-old guy who was already starting off in a career, knowing from the offset that I was never really going to you know, make a huge go of it competition-wise, but, you know, this kind of thing where it was a viable business as well, mm. you know, that wasn't even a thing either. Not, not then. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I don't think many of us look at it and think like, oh, we're actually... You know, you're lucky to kind of be here in this like a regular class schedule or I can train and I'm a 14 year old or mm. uh, it's not so much of just like, I think a lot of us would go in and it's just like, oh, it's a given, like a uh, choke and it's, it's here. And it's like, it's always been here. It's, but it's like you say, it's not always been the case with this. Like, quite no, it's, it's not that long ago either. You're standing on the shoulders of, not giants, but you're standing on the shoulders of others, right? Who yeah. Paved the way. And I suppose, you know, in some way, we ought to be thankful for the people who the early adopters because had they all packed it in, it might not have even taken off. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <clears throat> yeah, and, and one of the things that I, I well, I'm, I'm kind of proud of is when you look around the the scene within Yorkshire, and you know, I, I didn't play a huge part in everybody's progression, but I played a little bit, and yeah. it's you know, it's nice to feel that way. Definitely, man. Did you compete much at White and Blue? I know you said you kind of... Yeah, um, White and Blue I did. Um, there wasn't that many competitions around at that time anyway, so when there were, I competed in quite a few. Um, there were like the early competition, like the Gracie Invitational, I did a few of those. Um, there was the Senny, which was at the NEC in Birmingham, did a few of those. Then there was some really awful local competitions. So there, there was one at Dewsbury Leisure Centre of all places. Um, I think that was like the traditional Jiu-Jitsu Association in Great Britain. They had a ground fighting competition, which as soon as people learned about it, everybody from around the country, they did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> there was guys from Birmingham, from London, just, and also Yorkshire as well that turned up just to have a competition with other people that weren't in their gym. Yeah. Um, so it became quite a big competition for a while, this Dewsbury, <clears throat> excuse me, Dewsbury Sports Centre competition. And it was one, I don't know whether you've seen the format before, but you sit on the floor back to back. Yeah. And then the ref starts and you have to turn around. So there wasn't any takedowns. Um, <laughs> that was quite fun. So like one of the kids' games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, kind of, and there was a few guys there that in the early sort of formats of it, I think qualified for the, um, for the Great British team in, in traditional jiu-jitsu because it was like a qualifying competition for oh, them. Wow. Um, they, they never competed. No. And uh, how how did you do in these tournaments? Did you do it kind of what you expected? Or? All right. I mean, I was like I said, I was I was never a particularly amazing competitor. Um, you know, I've medaled at a couple, you know, no gold medals, but silvers and bronze, um, the smaller competitions. But I think the last time I competed was probably purple, and yeah, had a okay kind of showing. But yeah, just thought to myself, yeah, it's, it, it was weight as well as much as anything else. In, in my first competition, I just didn't try and lose any weight at all. So I fought in a, I want to say lightweight was probably middleweight. <laughs> and just, first fight was okay, I got lucky. Um, second fight, um, just got dominated by this this person who I couldn't get off of me, no matter how I tried. And yeah, some of it might have been technique, because I was a white belt at the time. But I think some of it was, uh, was a lot to do with just, yeah, the weight. So then from that, I thought I'm going to drop down a couple of weight categories. Now I dropped down to about 68, got in the, the featherweight category. And that was, that was quite miserable really, because I'm probably on a good day about 73. That, that's, that should be my walk around weight. I'm not at the minute, but that should be my walk around weight. And so to get down to 68 was kind of a, a push, but I could do it. And I just didn't, 
enjoy the process and mm-hmm. go down to it and it was kind of like right starve myself or, or do whatever needed to do to get to weight have the competition sometimes I have a good show and sometimes I'm, I'm just weak so it, it was pointless doing it uh, and then yeah pig out get fat and then start again <laughs> and it just I don't know it just wasn't a good good way of doing it I don't think no and that's that's the very similar story to me I think tell me about uh, getting your black belt did you did you know it was coming on the day or how was it hmm. I don't know if you ever really know I mean I, when you spend a certain amount of time at a, a belt you, you kind of hope don't you? you think well I'm going to mentally be prepared in case it happens um, I didn't know I knew, I knew it was a weird one because it was it's like the unveiling of the, the um, school of that day, wasn't it? Yes. So it's it kind of a big day anyway on that particular day. Um, had a feeling that Dav might get his, you know, because it was it was their, their new academy, Dav and Martin's new academy. Um, so I had a feeling that was on the cards. Victor was there. Um, obviously me, you and Lewis and Cleo were there and it was kind of like, might be, you know, I'll be prepared, but you know, I won't be shocked if it doesn't happen. And, and yeah, it did. So, I was, I was, I'd say I was half surprised. I mean, I was, I was sort of prepared in case anything happened, but you yeah, never, never truly feel like it's going to happen. But yeah, it was, it was a good day. It was good, you know. Me and you getting our, our belts on the same day, and obviously Dav as well. Would have been nice to complete the trilogy if if Lewis had done it on the same day. But you know, as as Victor said, a bit more juice left in the squeeze. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and he proved it as well, which is awesome. Yeah, he wasn't happy though. Yeah, <laughs> he stormed off. He was saying, "Well done to me." But uh, I, d- I didn't expect to get mine that day because I was injured. So I couldn't participate right. in the drilling. Right. Okay. So I was kind of sat in the corner, yeah. like, just watching. But Victor came, every now and again, would come over and say, What's, what do you think he's doing wrong? What do you mm. think he's doing wrong? Ah, so okay. then when I reflect on it, I think, well, he's probably just testing my yeah. understanding of it. But yeah, a great day, man. Mm. Um, so it's going to be second degree next year. Is it? It's six years, isn't it? Wow. 2023, yeah. So it was, That's April the 30th. 2017, I think we got. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely April because it was the same month and year that my my second child was born. So it's like, however old, yeah, he's five, yeah. So he is next year, yeah. Yeah, man. Which was more special? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good question. Um, no, it, but it was. It was an interesting kind of uh, day. Did um, you guys have to do speeches or what was it? <laughs> yeah, and and that I don't know how I feel about. Um, I mean, it's 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 kinder to everybody to to do a speech, but I, up until. I can't remember if I got a, a whipping from a brown belt. I think I might have done, but for, for the majority of my belts, again going back to the, like the old school way of, of, of things happening, um, from blue, purple, and I'm sure brown, it was right. You got your belt, everybody lines up, and and then you get your back whipped, and that that's it's barbaric, obviously. But you I think, quite enjoyed it. Not not enjoyed it, but it was it was kind of. Because everybody did it, it seemed like, well, yeah, that's just what it is. But it also psychologically made you not rush for your next belt. Right. Some of the scars had healed from the previous yeah, one. No, I, don't, I don't know. That's a bad thing. You know, thinking, well, yeah, I want that belt, but do I want the whipping? No, I don't. So, you know, I'm just going to concentrate on training and keep my head down. I cried for my black belt speech. Yeah. I cried for most things. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you go on, Professor? What did you say? Yeah. Remember? What did I say? I remember, I mean, it's, it's much really my story about jiu-jitsu, really. It's, it's kind of, I'm, I'm the, I think, the example of, look, if you just stick around long enough, yeah. you're going to get it. Yeah, um, I'm right now, yeah. You know, I, I don't think that I'm going to try and tell people that, you know, you need to do X, Y, Z and be the best competitor. I think Chris Alter said it probably better than I did, which is, you know, it's not who's best, it's who's left. And and I think I'm, I'm sort of like the, the example of that, you know, yeah, I can. I can. I'll, I'll get stuck in with with most people in the gym, um, but yeah, some people will catch me, some won't. But I'm still here training. You know, 20 years after I started, so there's definitely something in that. And I think that there can't be many pursuits now when the world's so easy, and it's just everything's just on tap on the phone. Mm. Sit around, work, sit at home and work, even. That you can go out into the world and do something which is going to absolutely test everything about you, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. To be in it for so long says a lot about you as a character and as a person, mm. doesn't it? And I think for anyone who's listening, that's the attitude to have. Like, 
cannot be left. Hmm. Cannot be. I mean, I used to be a little bit in the Marines and training when people used to drop out. And this is quite, obviously I'm quite competitive, but I used to kind of like, I was glad. See you later. Hmm. You know, now I'm one of one less. Yeah. And that should be the attitude for people. Like, how long can I stick at this? And not be happy that people don't succeed and pack it in, but be proud that you're still there when they do. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. How did, uh, when did you start doing uh, teaching? Um, <clears throat> not long after I joined Leeds. Um, so yeah, we, we've always, well, we were a small club back then and I think yeah, I was at Leeds for about a year perhaps. And I think it was probably around, around the time where I got my purple belt. Um, so what that been, sort of 2009, yeah, 2009, 2010. And I'd, I'd kind of bought into the gym at that point. So it was, it was like, well, I mean, Tom was still around. Tom was always part of the gym, um, but it just meant that I took on a bit more responsibility then. Well, was teaching like for you? Was it something you were quite passionate about? Was it just... It was more of a challenge, to be honest. You know, I'm quite an introvert in a lot of respects. And um, so for me, it was a challenge just to sort of see if we do it. And I felt like it was it was a good thing as well. Um, I think for anybody, it, there's different elements of jiu-jitsu. There's the doing it, obviously competing. But, but I think that when you teach, it really increases the depth of your knowledge because I was chatting to Lewis about this the other night, actually. When you, when you teach, and I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, I'll sit down and think, right, what, what do I want to teach them tonight? Like, what, what specific things do they need to know? What do, they, what do I want their takeaways to be? And what are the key points? You know, what can't they miss? Um, and how to make it. But you, I really need to drill down into how I do the technique rather than, right, I'm just going to wing it here. And it's that helps my knowledge of jiu-jitsu, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's that kind of teach once, learn twice. Yeah. mentality right? that's, that's what happens in order to be authentic and to be able to deliver something that not only just that but I think being able to teach a class full of individuals mm. all of whom have different body type they're there for a different reason yeah. different ways of learning to be able, to be able, that's the mark of a great coach right to be able mm. to get the message across to everyone in the room yeah and, and that's not always going to happen either is it I mean you know one of the good things about I, I guess the coaching staff at Harrogate in, in that there's you know, three main guys but obviously the, the rest of the, the coaching team underneath is that they'll be able to communicate or connect with different people so if I do a class maybe not everybody's going to get the same thing from it maybe maybe I'll resonate with one or two or a handful of people but then Lewis will come along what he says will, will resonate with a few other people then Khalil and you know some of the other guys like you know Luke and, and Yosef and Mikey and those guys they'll each bring something to the table. And I think that's good having that. And, and same with you you guys, you know, you're gonna both communicate to different people in different ways, aren't you? And I think that's important because, yeah, it's good having one consistent instructor, but it, you know, that's not necessarily gonna give everybody the same knowledge. And it's, I don't know, that, that three concepts of communication, the deletion, distortion, and generalization. You know, you can say the, the same, um, you can have a room full of people say a statement and ask each person what was said mm. and you'll get loads of different accounts. And so I think it's important to have that like breadth of, of kind of instruction really. Definitely. Definitely some of that um, will happen more here as we move forward, particularly with me being away later in the year. Mm. So um, good. Looking forward to that then? Looking forward to it's not the, not the words I would use. I'm looking forward to um, the experience of it. I'm kind of looking forward to the campaign being over because it's a long, long road. Yeah. I'm also looking forward to raising loads of money and writing a check for a charity for a lot of money. Mm. Um, but I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. I feel excited and dreading it in equal measure, I think. Yeah. Is it mainly because you're going to miss me? <laughs> it's mainly because I'm worried about what the state this place would be when I return. <laughs> It's be a holiday destination, but <laughs> if I walk in again and find you in a Hawaiian shirt for class, <laughs> there's gonna be more Hawaiian shirts if anything. <laughs> but we're, we're actively kind of growing our coaching from within, which is a lovely thing to do as yeah. well. I mean, that's what happened when we came through. Yeah, you didn't bust people in from all over, they kind of came through like yeah. you did, like I did, like Lewis did, and Khalil. So, yeah, we've got like Coach Rook, and then Kev's gonna come through and do some coaching with the kids. Hopefully, gonna bring Adisa over. That's still, if you're listening, Adisa, get your 
fucking application done, man. Get over here. Um, yeah, so. I think that's the, the, the right way to go about it, though, sort of bring people through so that, you know, they can emulate you in their own way or, you know, carry on the style. The culture and the values are key, yeah. particularly for us. And it's probably yeah. the same for Lewis and you guys, but, like, the experience but the, is, is key, but the culture, the values yeah. of this academy, not just Gracie Baha, but this academy itself, you want to maintain that going forward. Everyone's got to believe in that. Otherwise, something's lacking. So, yeah, there's massive benefit in bringing people through. And also, it's like going back to an early point you made, like they've now got access to a great facility, great scheduling, good instruction. The next generation should be better than us. So mm. we should be in this constant evolution of jiu-jitsu and the experience should continue and ultimately you and Ireland learning from them as we did with Jeremy coming through and well, like to be honest studies, that, yeah. that's already happening and it's good you know I enjoy that you know even yeah I mean certainly Jeremy um, you, you guys come over on Sunday didn't you and it was it was good you know I, I did the class on the Sunday um, then afterwards you know I had a roll with both these guys and then um, yeah Jeremy was like you know that thing you showed you can tweak it in this way and I was like okay yeah and, and it's good you know you get someone else's perspective and um, yeah and you learn and, and I, I, I like that. What class are you teaching down at Harrogate Island? So I, I do a bit on Thursdays with the all levels gi class, and then on Sundays I do the no gi. Oh, nice. Yeah. Would you, so what's your mix between gi and no gi? What do you prefer? What Twice you a week, and it's 50%. And okay. I don't know, it varies. I mean, because you're a guillotine man, aren't you? Yeah, I, I mean, that's I, what you're famous for around these parts. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I do like it particularly for no gi yeah definitely um, but obviously it's applicable with gi as well mm -hmm. um, I like both you know I, I like gi because as an older man you can slow it down it's more technical it can be a, pro you know, a proper battle I like no gi when it's explosive and fun you know it can be a real tough battle and I think sometimes I fall out with no gi when you're dealing with really strong explosive athletic people yeah. just because it's hard you know it's it's not fun when you're you're in that deep water and have you have you adopted a, a leg lock game yeah play about with it quite a bit um because i was chatting to someone the other day because i've never really done it but it was kind of like not a thing really when we were coming through and it was almost frowned upon it's like it was 100 yeah. it's weird yeah well i, I think so too, and jeremy didn't i when when i was training sort of in sheffield in the very early days you know, it just wasn't a thing because you were told that if you go for the legs, it's because you're shit at passing guard. Yeah. And, and it kind of, that's your option, isn't it? If you're in someone's guard, you can either pass the guard or attack the legs, you know, and, and people did actively avoid attacking the legs back yeah. then. Yeah. Whereas now it's, it's a thing. And I think, yeah, it's just good to have that extra um, dimension to the game. I quite, I quite like it. Yeah, totally. You know, but as long as it's done respectfully and carefully, because... You know, luckily, when everyone's training legs, then no one's getting heel hook and, and smashing it on and wrecking your knees. Um, I, I wouldn't do with anybody who I would perceive to be dangerous in that they don't control their sub attacks. But yeah, as long as I know that the people I'm going with are going to sort of be sensible about how they apply it, then then great. You know, attack what you want and just yeah, we'll, we'll have fun doing it. Perfect. Uh, how did you get into all the photography stuff, you know? Just I don't know really. It was. Um, I mean, my, my job, my day to day job is working with roofs. And, you know, I, I think I just got a bit geeky with drones. Um, I, I've always fancied having one and eventually bit the bullet and bought one, um, thinking, well, I'll take photos of roofs. And that was the intention. Um, but that, that was all I, I like. I've, I had a DSLR ages ago and I just never used it. Never really tried to figure out the settings or anything. And, you know, I know, know a few people who were pretty decent at photography and thought, oh, well, they know what they're doing, I don't. But then when I got my drone, it was like, well, I'll just play around with this. And it's, it sort of does it itself. I don't really have to do too much in terms mm. of setting the ISO or anything like that. And yeah, so it was more of a, just a, a hobby to, to get geeky with drones and, and look at roofs. It's a bit, <laughs> a bit boring, but that was, that was how I got into it. And then when I started flying, I thought, well, there's other stuff to look at and, and just found things and so, yeah. As and when the weather gets better, I'm, I'm sort of on Google Earth thinking, well, you know, I'll, I'll sneak there at four o'clock in the morning and take some photos before anybody's awake and get it on my Instagram. Nice. That was the plan. 
I'll tag your Instagram in. You do like a lot of like abandoned kind of places, is it? Yeah, well, they're the easiest ones because there's no yeah. one around. Right. Um, so yeah, but that was the early days. Um, but yeah, I, I do quite like stuff like that. That's, that's a bit more interesting. You know, a, a building's a building, isn't it? Mm. Um, usually, the kind of one of the last questions we do is just for you. What does it mean to be a martial artist? If you deep question, um, I, th- I think. I mean, when when I did Taekwondo, there was like the I think it was the five tenets of of a martial artist. It was uh, um, positivity, integrity, perseverance, self control, and indomitable spirit. And they're they're all quite fluffy words, really. But I do like integrity. I think that's quite important. You know, having being being congruous with what you say. Um, you know, I'm I'm not the most kind of you know the. The, the most spectacular jiu-jitsu guy in the world, but I have a deep knowledge of it and, and I can help people with their journey. And, and just being honest with people about that, that level of integrity, you know, there are people who've got more kind of spectacular jiu-jitsu than me, but you know, I can help you fix your game and get to a good version of yourself, if not a really good version. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably stick with integrity, really. It's, it's pretty important, but I think, yeah, probably indomitable spirit as well. Um, I think one thing that Victor said to us when, when he gave us our black belts is like, now that you're one of my black belts, if, if someone asks you for a role, you never turn it down. Right. He said it's the only thing he ever asked of his black yeah. belts, I think. Yeah, and that, that's important. And I think, <clears throat> you know, if I go to someone else's gym and they ask me for a role, then then yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll quite happily roll. And even if they smash me, you know, that that's fine. You know, I've, I've been there, I've, I've, I've given a good account of myself and, you know, now, now you know what's what really. Awesome. Is there anything else from you, Professor Mike? No, it's good to see you, man. Don't see yeah, you often likewise. enough without nowadays. Um, but come and train with us down here at some point, please do. Yeah, definitely. Can I see you? Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Professor. Thank you. And uh, see you again soon. Nice. See you. See you guys. Thank you.